is Bootstrap Web. We are uh, back at it here. We've had a couple of weeks off, and uh, it was uh, quite a, an eventful couple of weeks, uh, especially on your end, Jordan. So. Yes, that's right. It's been a great few weeks. Went away on vacation. Excited for MicroConf next week. But we, we do have, we're going to be together. Hell yes. We get to hang. Yes, that's very exciting. I'm psyched. We, we, I have that like pre-MicroConf mindset where it's like, I just finished up some work, just shipped some stuff today. You know, my experience going to MicroConf for many years now, it's like, I don't know what, where I'm going to be at like five or six days from now when I'm like post MicroConf and my mindset has shifted and I've got all new energy going on. So cool. Well, I want to talk about that. I was at a conference earlier this week and just like what conferences do to your mindset, your confidence, your worldview. But first, Brian, we have a little news. Yes. My turn. You've had like three or four in a row here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so let's hear it. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to say that two weeks ago, Cardhook was officially acquired. Woo! So, woo! Hell yeah! So some people listening in the audience, even if you've been listening for years, know that I I left some ambiguity around Cardhook and around what was happening there, and that was for a reason that I, I can't get into all the reasons when I decided to start rally and left Cardhook and put a new CEO in place, I didn't sell the company. I didn't sell anything. I left it as is. And it's been running as a profitable company since then. And now what we did is we sold the supported Shopify app. So what, what does that mean? Right. We used to have this checkout app that did payment processing. And that's the product that Shopify shut down the API access for. Now, when they did that, they shut down API access in such a way that it prevented anyone else from adding the app. But it allowed people who currently had it to continue using it. And over the past call it 18 months or so, we've worked with the Shopify team to bring a lot of those merchants over to the supported Shopify app that enables post-purchase upsells inside of the Shopify checkout. To be as transparent as I can be, a lot of those merchants didn't want to move. So a lot of them stayed on and it's processed a, a, a lot since then. So now what we're doing is we, we are officially shutting it down completely. Like we're removing the database, you know, we're kind of fully shutting it down. And we sold the supported Shopify app, the one that was built 18 months ago and it's in the app store. We sold it to a great company called Pantastic that's in the Shopify ecosystem. And they took it over and they took, they brought the team over that runs that app. And, you know, I'm happy. It was, my guess is you can attest also, you get, it's a mixture of feelings when you, when you sell something. And this is something I built for for seven years. It's a it's a whirlwind of, of feelings and and just you're a total stress ball for the couple of months that you're you know going through the deal process for sure. I knew about it, but we didn't really talk about what what you can share publicly here. So, what can you share publicly? So, in terms of you talked about the the acquirer, I think you mentioned like they they sort of have like a, a portfolio of Shopify apps, and that's that's why this made sense. They have their own service where Shopify merchants can sell their products through Pantastic's marketplace. I think I'm saying that properly, you know? And now they just raised money. Funny enough, they raised money from some investors who are investors at Rally. So I had a good laugh with someone in Las Vegas that they were on both sides of the deal. <laughs> so they were very happy. <laughs> I'm assuming you can't get into numbers or no, size. Or, yeah. Can't do numbers. 
it was fine. No matter what the number was, it's not what it could have been because Carthook got to 6 million in ARR. And we know with multiples, even now, let alone six months ago, uh, that 6 million ARR would have been a spectacular outcome for a bootstrap company with just friends and family investors. I mean, you know, look, like, you know, I think we talked a bit about this offline, but you spent like several years on this business. It it took up a a very significant chunk of your career. And to see this is a, this is a huge win exit uh, in my view. It's, it's a win and it has like an asterisk emotionally. You know, it it just like the business itself, as, as you sort of just described earlier, it had its sort of a roller coaster ride of, of challenges, but, but also some huge successes. And, and then to have this sort of closure, this is a win. It's a win. It made me equal parts, happy and relieved. It was a, the whole thing was a challenge, right? The building the company with limited resources was, was a challenge. Building a checkout product with limited resources was a very big challenge. Scaling the company in such a way that we were never allowed in the app store. And we're always like in danger with Shopify. That was a crazy challenge in itself. You know, the, the triumphs, you know, is the way I look at it of overcoming that processing billions of dollars, getting really profitable. That to me is the really the big win. It's, it's all the hurdles to get there. What happened after that with the whole Shopify API thing, limitations, their business model, like that's, I don't think I'm going to focus on that too much because that directly led to what I'm doing now at Rally that I love and, and feel like I can do for a very long time. So overall, you know, Cardiac was a phenomenal experience. It helped me mature as like a business person. You know, before then, I really had never led a team. I worked in my family business and I worked in small businesses and freelance and like, you know, these. Like, yeah, and also learning software, right? Like building, that's right. Building a software, first software company, thing. You know? yeah. yeah. So it was great. And, and it happened right before going to Maui with the family. So I got that. I got that. I got the satisfaction. You know what I mean? I had that too with, with audience ops. I, I had two trips, two vacations, like pre already booked before the deal was even happening. And like, so glad, and it almost didn't, didn't work out this way, but it, I'm so glad that, it, that we were able to close like a week before these vacations because it made it so, so much better to take yeah. that trip and afterwards. The, the transaction with Pantastic was pretty smooth. I had someone, a counterpart on their side that led the deal and she was phenomenal. She was fantastic to work with. Was this like a, like direct to them? Did you go through a marketplace? Did you work with a broker? What, what did that look like? I did it myself. I had enough inbound interest that I knew if I basically just reached out to the people who had reached out over the last six months, that I would get somewhere in the area of five to 10 people to get into conversations with. It ended up being a handful that were kind of right for us. And then we chose one, just felt great. Every conversation with them felt great. The meeting with their lawyer went great. It just felt good. Uh, They made a good offer. They wanted to bring the team over. That's huge. You know, a little more transparency around the, the difficulty there. We had two products, but we sold one. What that meant was letting go of the team that was running the product that was no longer going to continue on. So that's no fun for anyone. And we tried to do the best we could. And we gave as generous severance as we could. And we, you know, we just tried to try to do everything right. But it is impossible to do everything optimally and looking back, you always want to do things a little different, a little better, timing different, communication different. So I definitely learned a lot through the process. Some of that came through my mistakes. And then, of course, no matter how smooth the transaction gets, when it gets to the end, it is stress. 
And it was, it was that. And then it was basically that and then go to Hawaii like three days later. So I was like, I really do not want to be on vacation with the fam, with it in the back of my mind, doing emails and phone calls. I just really wanted to avoid that. And I, I, I did, we closed it right before. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, were, were you able to like fully disconnect while you're out there? I was, I was. And so much of this stuff in what we do is emotional and, and it's like where it crosses over from professional into family is like where the rubber meets the road, <laughs> you know, that's, and I, I got it. I, you know, I got some satisfaction. I sat in a fancy hotel at a pool with a Mai Tai in a cabana with my kids playing in the pool. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to enjoy this moment, you know, for a few days. Yep. That's awesome, man. Well, well congratulations. I mean, it's a, you know, again, it's a huge win and, and it's just, it's, it's a great way to sort of like cap off that chapter of your career. It, it, it brings a whole, you know, bucket of energy into, into rally, you know, full, full focus. You don't have this thing hanging in, in your, on your plate, you know, so that, that's awesome. Yeah. It felt, it felt great. And the timing on the rally front was really good because we're about to, you know, go into a process <laughs> uh, with rally. And it, so it really is work all working out at the, at the same time. Of course, I still have to like finish selling my house and then finding a house in Chicago and <laughs> whatever else. But, <laughs> but at least, at least that chapter is kind of done. And we, the way I look at or describe it is that we, we landed the plane in one piece. Yes. It wasn't the outcome that it should have been, but we made some money, you know, investors had a positive outcome as did I, we move forward. The opportunity effectively continues with rally and you know, got to be happy with that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, you were on vacation. You went away like a week or two after me. So I, I've been home now for like three weeks, three or four weeks now since I got back. And like, I feel like that it took an unusually long, longer time to unwind all the, all the crap, all the post vacation, the rest and relaxation. And one of those was a big snow. So I had all this like ideas and energy that I wanted to execute on, especially marketing wise coming, coming back from those trips. But I had like literally like four or five features that were like 90% to being shipped, but I was waiting until after vacation to get them shipped. And, and like, you know, a, a lot of that was like pretty complex code things that needed to be worked out. And I'm dealing with slower than usual developers right now. And I just, kept getting sucked into these little things that are preventing me from marketing. And I feel like I finally have cleared that whole backlog in, in the past week or so. So right, literally today, I'm like clean slate, ready to head to microconf and then ready to really hit it when, when I get back. I'm pretty excited. So Okay, cool. So can we talk about, let's talk about microconf, but let's talk about conferences. Feel like it's been forever. I've been to a bunch of smaller, you know, tiny comps since the pandemic, but but this is the ticket from 2020, right? So we haven't actually been to microcomp since 2019. Is that right? I, I think so. I think that's right. I think two years. It's so exciting, right? To just the prospect of like seeing so many people, friends, and it's funny. I just called it the big show. But earlier this week, I was at Shop Talk, which was probably, I don't know 5,000 attendees, and that is so different. It's just different. It doesn't feel like anything like microconf. Yes. So that that feels really exciting. Both Jessica and I are coming in from Portland. 
and Claire and Sam. So it's four people on our team are going to be in Minneapolis next week. So we'll get some dinners and everything. It's, it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. A little surprise, like half of the group that I, you know, talk to all the time, uh, there are a lot of friends who are not going to microconf this year for, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's what we'll find. And it'll be a bit like quieter than as if nothing had happened. I know at least one friend that basically likes Vegas and would like to go if it was in Vegas. I know opposite. everyone was sort of down on on the you know like ending the run in Vegas, but I I actually kind of enjoyed it because it Me was like the, the one Me time too. I ever really go to Vegas. You know, yeah, I, I don't like Vegas. <laughs> it's no, um, and I was just there, and it confirmed I don't like it. And I'm going back there in two weeks for a different conference. So exactly. So I'm looking yeah, forward to Minneapolis. I've never been to uh, Minneapolis. I'm going to be there for the day on Sunday. I I want to see a lake. That's all I know. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, so let's, let's talk about conferences. Like I'm looking forward to learning. I'm looking forward to seeing people. I'm going to try not to censor myself because I'm, I'm worried about sounding like, like an ego, like narcissist about conferences. But the thing that I want out of a conference, one of the things, and the thing that I feel the most is this, this huge boost of confidence. And I, I leave there just just pumped up for weeks right i mean it's only been a few days but i I did this panel i don't know what it is about it especially microconf there's something very energizing about it when i was a little younger it it was probably a little bit more tactical like oh i learned some new tactic or skill or idea that i didn't know but now it's not so much that like i'm going to just hang out with people and do dinners and stuff like that but what they call the hallway track is like yes that energy um, it's the energy. I, I, I literally remember, you know, when I started Audience Ops, literally the idea for Audience Ops happened while I was in oh, Vegas. You, you ran upstairs and like wrote it down. It was the day happened? after. Yeah, I remember. Um, so it was MicroConf in Vegas in 2015. And that year, my wife came out to Vegas and we were going to hang. We did some shows after MicroConf. So, so the Wednesday after MicroConf, I was hanging out in the hotel waiting for her to arrive. And I had like, you know, six hours to, to spare. And, and I was just jotting down notes. So like, but the thing was, at the time I had just sold Restaurant Engine and I was considering three or four different ideas for my next business. I went into MicroConf thinking I was doing one or two of these ideas. I came out of MicroConf completely ditching those ideas and, and it smacked me over the head. Like, I got to do this idea for audience ops. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't remember if you said this before we started recording or after, but you mentioned that you're you're not overloading your plate ahead of microconf because you you know that leaving microconf, you're going to have all this new stuff that you want to work on or think about. Yes. I know that I'm pushing into marketing in terms of like spending and hiring some people and getting the ball rolling on some things. One of these things is going to be like probably hiring like an SEO consultant and uh, and, and ramping up, you know, content and, and all this different stuff. But before I even start to talk to these agencies, let me do the week at MicroConf and then d- do it. After. Right. See, see where you're there. See, see where, see you're where at. I'm at. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to be doing a, a bunch of different work on different channels. Integrations are something that I've already begun getting going like the first 5% of, of the way to, you know, talking to people. I'm in active talks with, with some people, but like, I just don't want to be at MicroConf while I'm 
in conversations with people. You know? Yeah, that, that makes sense. Maybe the reason I emphasize like the, the confidence side of things so much is because I'm, you know, we all have our skill sets. For me, one of the things I'm strongest at is, is in-person connection. And to just not have it for months, in this case, years, and then get in person with other people and be able to say, oh, that's right. That's one of my strengths. I, I feel like I come out of that like, oh, I finally was able to use my strength. Right. So at, at Shop Talk, I met some of our investors for the first time in person. And then that connection, you know, leads into good things because they, they kind of they get the impression from you that you want to give them, that you're only able to give them in person. And they started making connections. And, you know, we can talk a little bit later about like what's happening in our checkout space with our big competitors. But in that context, in person, I came away with so much like clarity around our position in the market and how we're going in the right direction. I just left there like on fire and you know, I just want more. I want to go to microconf. I want that same feeling. And then for microconf, I'm flying directly to Miami for Solana events. That's the, the blockchain we're building on. And I almost like am thinking in my head, I should just go straight from Minneapolis because I will be high. I will be at, at a confidence high and I should take that into Miami. And then I should take that into a meeting on Friday with like a, an ideal investor for us here in Portland in, in person. So it's like, I'm, I, I'm fully yeah. considering it's, it's like, like, like the flow of, of your personal energy, right? Yes, that's right. It's, it's a weird thing, relatively weird thing to think about energy as like this key indicator. It sounds like you you get all this energy on like the the relationship building and talking to people and and yeah, and, and, and I, I get and, that I get that too. But I, I think for me, it's it's about breaking myself away from the computer and just working on stuff and the relationships and talking to like friends and and fellow founders and, and what they, you know, what, what they're doing in their businesses get energizes me to, uh, yes, to, to do I, things. But like, I get the same thing when I go on vacation or any trip, really, it's like a chance to, I, I, I can't, I literally can't do any actual work that week. It's just about listening, taking it all in, talking to people and, and somehow ideas like in the back of my mind start to take form because I have that space and separation. Mm -hmm. And some added perspectives. You sort of unpack it when you're on the flight and, and it's like, that's what starts to really give me more energy when I come back and, and get home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's a combination for me. I, you know, if I have to admit I'm, I'm more vain than you are and seeing people that listen to the podcast and kind of like being looked up to by younger people, I can't help it. That just energizes me. It does. No, me too. Me yeah, too. It, so it's it does. Part, I, like, part of it's a big factor for it, me, if I'm being totally honest. You know, for folks who listen to this podcast, it, you know, it, this is partly why I love like what you're saying, I, like partly why I love going to microconf because I, I always joke around thinking like literally all of our listeners are in this room at microconf. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> like, that's like literally true for Rob with, with starters, the rest of us. But for us, like, like, I feel like a lot, like we don't have a very large audience. But most of our all there. Is there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know, so yes. like that's that's always like a fun thing. And and it, it it's still after these years, it's still super weird to like meet people who have ne I have never met, but they've been listening to us. It does make these like conversations easier to get into as like I'm in real life, like I'm a pretty shy person. I don't talk to strangers, you know. <laughs> I don't start <laughs> conversations. You just publish it all on the internet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But 
but going, you know, t- talking to fellow founders, uh, especially who who have actually heard or followed along with what we've been doing, it it does make mm-hmm. that all very easy. You know. Yeah. Uh, this past week at Chop Talk, I was on a panel, and let my opinions fly. I didn't hold back too much because I thought that was the the right thing to do in that setting. You know, you get off stage and then there are people waiting to talk to you. That ego stuff, I cannot help, but have that have a really big impact on my confidence level and all that. Yeah, man. So you want to talk about big competitors? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Because, oh, dude, I mean, the news this week in in your space is like... Yes, the the news in our space over the last three months is a little is a little crazy. It's kind of like what what the hell is happening in the checkout space? Right? This wasn't even a space a year ago or maybe 18 months ago. And Cardhook was quietly doing it. And we felt like we had to stay quiet because we had a guillotine over our head. And then a few competitors kind of came out on the scene. We have two big competitors. So I, let's talk about this from like quote my point of view from like the fast bolt rally, whatever thing. And then let's get into something like meteor that I think more people will identify with, which is how does it feel to be the anonymous no-name company in a space where there are really big competitors that everyone knows, thinks about, talks about, admires, looks up to. And how does that how does that make us feel? And I mean, I totally relate to this. I've been talking about it on the podcast too with with Loom is is the big obvious uh, elephant in the room in, in my space. And right, you can't escape it. You're, you're right. I, I can't escape it. And it's, and it does have like an emotional toll to it when, when yes, they launch a feature, people start sending it to you. Dude, it has I, an emotional say, impact. I, I get that too. Like, like people send me, you know, newsletters that are coming from, from Loom's team. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't want to see this right now. I just good, don't want to look at you. it, but I do need to know about it. So it's like, I appreciate it. But at the same time, it's like, I, I don't need to feel shitty for 10 minutes. Yes. Yes. So this happened. I had a, so powered by search, our marketing agency, the person we work with there, this guy, Mark, he's great. And he and I have a good relationship. And, and Dev over there is going to be at a microconf. Looking he is going to be meeting him. I'm really excited to meet him in person. Uh, so Mark and I talk on Twitter DM and he sent me a link about one of our competitors, like a feature or a partnership or something. Basically like a, did you see this? You know, totally innocent thing. And my response to him, he might've been surprised by it. I was like, so here's the thing that makes me feel emotionally bad. And I, I don't, I've learned, <laughs> I've learned that I, I am better off and the business is better off when I pay a lot less attention to competitors. So in the future, please don't send me links like that. <laughs> he was like, Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a lot more direct than I am. I'm just like, I'm, oh, I'm right, more direct, thanks. you know, <laughs> because at, at Cardhook, it was overwhelming. It was everyone's doing something. Shopify space is so noisy. Did you see this? Did you see what they're doing? And I, at some point I was like, look, we're adding 50 K a month in MRR. So I don't care what anyone's doing. I don't care what we're doing is fine. So leave me the hell alone. But it, it only, it took the financial success of the company for me to finally be able to say, maybe we're doing stuff right. And maybe I need, I can just stop, just stop obsessing with what other people are doing. I mean, at the, at the beginning of like, at the outset, you know, starting a company, deciding to do something like zip message, or in your case, doing, you know, like I like to see a big competitor or, or two or three. I like that to me is like a, a positive signal that there is activity in the space. It's growing, it's going in the right uh, like the market is going in the right direction. A lot of people are excited about that tool, but that that to me presents an opportunity to 
to offer to to sort of ride that wave, but offer something different in some meaningful way, right? Like right. that's what you I get look to see for. what they're doing. You get to choose. You, you're probably not going to copy everything they're doing yeah. exactly. Not so going to go into this expecting to overtake mm-hmm. them or anything like that. Or, or but but you know the the truth is, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Now that I'm like in this space, right? We we have customers. They obviously have way, way more customers than, than we do, much more established, way more yeah, well-funded money, than we all are. the whole thing. Yep. Uh, but the, the thing that I deal with day to day is the, the battle of the product, right? Because I don't know how much you see of this, but like we have, a lot of our customers have left Loom to go to ZipMessage. A lot of our customers continue to use Loom side by side with, with ZipMessage. They literally pay for both tools. Yeah, we're, um, we're one. Rally pays for both. Yeah, I mean that that's the case with a lot of people. And on the one hand, I'm not I'm not trying to just copy ex- what Loom is and does, and just you know, but we, you know, we we do things that are fundamentally different from from Loom, especially on the intake side of things. That's a constant thing. And, and like when we see churn, like usually part of the churn is them deciding to go back to Loom or something like that. Right. So you're competitive, whether you like it or not, whether you want to pay attention whether or not. Whether I like it or not. Yep. And I see it front and center every day. It's not like a thing that's sort of hanging out in, in the periphery. What I struggle with still is the decision of what to build in which order, which features to prioritize, which use cases. As, I, as I'm pushing into marketing, I'm pushing into key use cases that I could see which which types of users and use cases are the most valuable for us. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. You know, I was having a conversation the other day, like, what do you uh, prioritize? Is it, is it the, the features that will help you win over more brand new users? You know, because that, that could help your top of funnel. I can get more trials. I can get more, you know, conversions off of that. Or we have uh, power users who, who love the tool, but they want more from it. They, they want these unique capabilities and, and I, and I want to build certain things. I have a thousand things on the roadmap that I want to build, but is it worth prioritizing? And, you know, it's, and, and like, I, I think now more than a little bit before, you know, there, there's always the, the factor, you know, factoring in like, does it get me more customers? Does it reduce churn? Um, is this a marketable feature? Am I getting a lot of feature requests for this? Like, those are the things that go into what to build. But there's this fifth factor of like, does it differentiate us from Loom? Or does it give us a reason? Does it give customers a reason to choose us instead of Loom if we choose to build this feature instead of that yeah. feature? You know? Yeah, very challenging. What features should you be okay with them having and you not having? Which features are unacceptable and you need parity? And so thinking about it, as, as you said it, thinking about a few of the conversations, one in particular I had uh, with another founder in Vegas, I think the biggest factor in all of it, which is really hard to keep in mind, but it's answering the question of where you want it to go three, four, five years from now. Maintaining that, because that is more likely to lead to the unique solution that you have in mind for the market and your specific insight, your view on things. Now, we operate day-to-day, week-to-week, sprint-to-sprint. So that the decisions are kind of being made there, but you don't want to lose the focus of where you want it to go because there are too many opportunities in the market, too many features to build, too many different things to do, add, work with, integrate, whatever. 
So maintaining that larger vision for where the product wants to go and what you think is happening in the market, it like it's hard to keep in mind, but that's actually the right guiding light. Right? That's that's what helps you avoid the recency bias of emotion of I just saw this on Twitter, someone just sent it to me. I can't believe they launched this. It looks so good. Like it's impossible to be inundated with those real-time things and go in the right direction if you if you don't also have in mind where you actually want it to go. And that's challenging. How about like when it comes to sales or converting new new users, do you do you see or like in, in your conversations or from your team, like does like fast and bolt do, do they come into those conversations? Like when you're talking to a new customer, are are they are they like sort of comparing you like like and maybe trialing both of you at the same time? Like do you deal with any of that? So so everyone, everyone, I think your situation is more directly competitive where someone's using both, considering both, using one, then the other, going back and forth. For us, that's what people assume is happening, but it's actually not. And that's all. That's our idiosyncrasy of people assigning that to us, just assuming, hey, fast and bolt or check out product, you're a checkout product, therefore you're competing with them. And in reality, we'd never compete with them, almost never. We learn a lot from merchants that we talk to in the sales process that have used one of them in the past are considering using them, but it's still a minority of the people that we're speaking with. So that's just a weird thing where everyone's like, "How we have us? We have an additional factor. It's not that it's totally different, but there's an additional factor in VC-backed companies that you are expected to actually take them on. That big giant competitor. It's not cool to just say, "Oh, we'll, have the, their piece. We'll have our right. Piece. The market's so big, no. we can do yeah. a hundred million ARR, no problem, and 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 it's fine. Like that's actually like they want to know how you're going to win. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So and and you have to keep in mind the fact that you do want to win, but you know that you don't actually necessarily have to kill them or anything. You know. Yeah. yeah. Now, what's happened in our market? Let's let's talk a little gossip, a little news. It's a yeah. little fun here, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> what happened is. When we raise money and when we talk to investors, we talk to people in the space, that's the question. What are you going to do about Fast and Bolt? Fast is a one-click checkout company that's in many ways like a modern PayPal, where it's a button that you add to your store as an express payment option. And then when you go through it once, you can then buy anywhere that there's a Fast button with one click, like PayPal. So sounds interesting, got a lot more interesting when Stripe led their Series A for $20 million, and then a few months later, led their Series B for another $100 million. And the CEO was really good at Twitter, just out there, ego, skydiving, pink shirts, you know, the whole, the whole thing. And he did it really well and caught an enormous amount of attention. And so, you know, this... This is when we start to get into like, well, how does it actually feel to be the smaller company? And me sitting here like, you know, I've done like billions of dollars and homie just started the company, but everyone's looking at him like he's the checkout expert. And like, how does that make you feel? Right. It makes you feel weird. <laughs> makes you feel like, oh, that's bullshit. And then at the same time, like, no, I'm not a child. I can, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference to my success and my family, and my business and so on. But then you can't help it. So it's like this weird thing. I'm like, should I mute them on Twitter? Or not? I, I I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So My, that's I I have like historically like tried to mute or shut or get it out of my purview. Like 
there's no getting loom out of my, out of my yes, view yes, now, you but can, like, you can't but like it, in but previous it, things, like I remember um, back in the day, restaurant engine, there was another WordPress based uh, restaurant solution um, happening. And, and I just like unfollowed the guy and like, just right. You didn't want to see want to hear about it. You I just see it. like, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know everyone in this audience is identifying with some of these feelings on like, you know, what do you, what do you do with that? You don't want to be obsessed with them. You don't want to, you don't want to be oblivious to what they're doing. I convinced myself that especially people who like to talk a lot on Twitter, especially when they like to boast, you learn a lot. They give away too much. So I, I, I want to listen, you know, because they give away things that they shouldn't. And I keep quiet. And I feel like I don't give away some of those things. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, it's also I, at least what it convinced yourself is that it's an advantage to keep listening. <laughs> so what happened? So, so do you, okay. so in that, okay. So you're in this like VC world where it's like, you, you play to win the market. You don't play to carve out. So like, are you at all concerned with differentiation between like, like choose rally because we're different from Bolt and Fast in these ways. Like, is that a focus or is it just more about like, we can grab more of the market than they can? No, it's gotta be, it's gotta be part of the focus, especially because we have less money. So Fast comes out and raises $125 million within like 18 months. And then, so you have a problem. What are you gonna do about that? Right, the right way to do, the right way to answer that question, not just to the investor, but also to yourselves is not, well, we're gonna raise as much money and compete. That, that's not the right answer. The right answer is we're gonna take a unique view on the market and on the product, and we're gonna win over customers that way. That's, that's how we're gonna do it. I look at it like, I'm definitely not going the, the VC route, and I could still have a, a, a huge win out of ZipMessage by being, by being much smaller than Loom. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. And, and, and who, you never know what happens. They might acquire you. Who, who knows? You just keep your unique view on the market. You keep acquiring customers. You keep satisfying that core group of customers. Then you grow that core. Like, the, okay, all of us know. And, and I think that like since day one, we have a fundamental difference of, of what ZipMessage is with, with the intake ability. And, and I see people who are well aware of Loom, probably existing Loom users, they sign up for us because we have intake forms that you can embed on your website. Like that's right. not- and, and that- the vision that you had when you started building in that direction, the challenge is maintaining that vision, regardless of the noise that you get day-to-day and the emotional spikes. That's right. That's the whole, that's the challenge of like maintaining the vision. Otherwise, you're just going to slowly veer in the direction of loom and then lose your differentiation. Yeah. The, I mean, the other big, big one is just the conversational aspect. And that's where we get into like the best customers for us, we, like our best high usage customers are teams and right, they want client the services who, who are going back and forth with a client on design feedback or, you know, remote standups without having to have a meeting. Like we're a calendar meeting replacement, right? So mm-hmm. then I get all these like little requests, like feature requests to like make the, the conversation experience a little bit better in this or that way. But I'm still looking for things that I can announce publicly and grab more free users. Right. That's kind of your, that's a challenge. But because I'm still in that early phase of just clawing to get as many new mm-hmm. users and customers as, as possible. Yeah, get the ball rolling. It's like painful to, to like deprioritize like the power features that do differentiate us, but don't necessarily help us get more free users this month, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Know. And the, the chess match of the differentiation is interesting. And then inside of that chess match, you still have to f- make decisions on, well, I, I need something marketable that I can talk to people about 
in this next sprint so I can keep the marketing going. And this is where like the, the community of bootstrappers is so important because it can keep your head level, keep your head straight and maintain that confidence of, I know there's a lot of attraction and going the other way, but I'm going to maintain what I'm doing because I know it's a smart, mature thing, long-term thing to do. My next few sprints in terms of what I'm really pushing on, like, yes, we're, we have a large roadmap of features we're building, but really the, mo- the more important thing is to, is to highlight these like how-to uh, use cases. Like look at, look at this hiring workflow that you could do and, and incorporate zip message into that. Right. Um, That's you and, facing... and just like really just go, go to market with like, and there's five to eight of these things that like we could have content and videos on and, uh, you know, events all, all built around this stuff that, that people can, and that gives people a reason to talk about it. Like this is a tool and here's what I can do with it and what you should do with it. And that's why influencers would talk about it. Yeah. And the, the reason that feels so right from like an outside point of view is because that's you speaking directly to the core group that is looking for that in your product. And, and that's also what the differentiation is. And it's also unique. And like, that's so you're like pushing in that direction. All right. So let me, let me I'll, I'll finish the gossip. Right. So over the last 18 months, I have, I have been affected by fasts, ridiculous success and funding. Of course, of course I have. How could you not? When we speak internally, we're kind of like, and when we speak to merchants, our sense is they don't really get merchants. And I don't know how that's going to work out for them if they don't get merchants quite the same way. And then this week, it all, all happened. So there's a story on they're not doing well. They're having trouble fundraising. Then the next day, they're more details. They're burning $10 million a month. And their revenue, 600K last year. So 50K in monthly revenue, $10 million in monthly burn. Right. I mean, that is operating on acid. That is wild. Uh, yeah, it almost sounds like, like fun. Insane. So much money. <laughs> it's wild. It sucks to say that it was satisfying to see. You know what I mean? It sucks to say that. <laughs> If I'm being honest, it's a little satisfying to be like, see, it's all freaking smoke and mirrors. But then if you if you put on your adult hat and you look one level deeper, that's 500 employees because the the reason they're spending so much money, they're 500 employees. And those people are just going to all lose their jobs. And that that's 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 not fun. And you can't be satisfied about that. And that's I I still have never really understood understood what how, how does that even happen? And like, what does, how does that literally even work? Like 500 yeah, employees I, working at a startup, how, how is, how are 400 of them not looking for things to do all day? Like, what can you literally task all those people with? Doing, you, you, know? you can, and I can sympathize with, you know, that's maybe an extreme version of it. But when you are looking at the next funding round and you are assuming that it's going to happen, that it's going to be better than your last funding round, if you start to make those kind of assumptions, you really rationally go toward growth over caution. Growth in people, because, but like- the- No, but you're, you're rewarded for growth. Yes, you're right. You're rewarded for growth in revenue, but you buy growth through spending money. That's, that's how these companies do it. But this is how a company operates when they have more money in the bank than the revenue says they should have in the bank. Right. You get you get a few million bucks in the bank. And then it says, if you want the bigger, the next level, then just grow. And therefore, it's worth spending money. On maybe this maybe this sounds naive, but like, all right, a, a team of 500 people. Is it 
is it that they literally run out of things to spend money on? So like, like they've already bought all, all the advertising and, and sponsorships that they could possibly buy. And, and like they filled out the team that they would need to run all that stuff and, and product team and all that stuff. And then you just multiply those, those people. And then it's just redundancies because we have the cash and we have to show that we're spending the cash. Is that? No, no, no. I, I would give them more credit than that. I would say that if you have the money, you can come up with initiatives to pursue on all fronts, engineering, product, design, marketing, partnerships, that you can pursue things in a lot of different areas when, when you're more limited on money, you dismiss the things that don't seem obvious with ROI because it doesn't make sense for you to pursue. But I can 100% go from where we are right now at Rally with 22 employees. You can do it all with 80 people. I think as a startup, I, I, you know, that like, part is like the extreme that they went to, right? Cause that, that it is extreme. Yeah. I can definitely no problem go from 22 people right now to 50 people at rally. And we wouldn't even be doing that much different stuff. It's like DevOps wants more QA wants more product wants another, another person. We don't have an in-house designer. And, and it's like do- a, it's also, it's like a B2B product, which means like, like they could do like a Super Bowl ad, but would that make sense? Because they're not That's a That's kind of what product. they're doing. They, they sponsored like a car racing thing in Florida. It's like, okay, you know, you can come up with stuff to do. So there's like, you know, there's a, a race car with the fast logo on it. And when I went to Shop Talk, they spent easy 200K, you know, one of those big uh, exhibit things, because that's that's what that conference is like. That's what people are spending. And then, of course, you send eight or 10 people to the to the show. So you, you, you drop in two, 300K on one conference, multiply that by two or three a quarter. It's like, it's easy to spend money. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let, let's say that. So, so that happened this, this week. And, th- and then today the story came out that, all right, they're looking for a buyer because no one wants to invest in their Series C. And $125 million is a lot of money, but if you're burning 10 million a month, that's actually not that much time. So at the, at the same time, Bolt, our other competitor, has raised $900 million. <laughs> it's even more. Now, they have a more substantial business. My understanding is that you know they're in the tens of millions of ARR. But then their CEO came out you know, and just did a bang-up job on Twitter. Killer threads, controversy, flew past 100,000 followers you know, from effectively nothing. The guy killed it. Young kid absolutely killed the Twitter game and was so much more legit than Fassie, like overtook that whole thing. So here I'm watching that again, like, hmm, <laughs> okay, another checkout product that's coming on the scene. Like, am, am I supposed to be doing this? Should I be trying to get this type of attention? Like, what, what is this? With the, with the Twitter following thing, I, like, you know, if you just have this like rocket ship Twitter following if, based on, based on your crazy threads that you're doing, do you think that their mar- your your market like the custom potential customers e-commerce merchants are the bulk of that following or is it like other like startup people and like you no know? but it but it definitely has an impact in terms of awareness right the the reason he didn't I don't know what the what the reasons he did he, those are his reasons but that coincided with their company raising money at a billion dollar valuation and then twelve months later eleven billion dollar valuation. So in the span of one year, the company went from a billion to $11 billion in valuation. So that is, if you do that and you get the attention from Twitter, then you start to be known. 
And then that trickles down to merchants and it trickles into agencies. And it does make a difference in the business too. It's, it's not just vanity. It makes a difference. I only caught some of these headlines this week. I didn't really get into the details, but like, what do you think it is with fast? Like why, like, why was it such a surprise? Not why was it a surprise, but what, why do you think they, they haven't grown? <laughs> like, what, what do you think it is? Okay. Like put on my e-commerce hat. Um, yeah. Just like, like lack of uh, execution or like, like just do, doing it in the wrong ways. It's, like it's, it's wrong product. I would identify two things and I, I'm not going to get all the way into my full analysis of it that I kind of give an investor. Cause that, I don't know if that's rude or inappropriate or whatever else. So two things. One, payments is relatively easy on the internet. You can accept credit cards, right? The infrastructure is there. They did build some good tech around the ability to recognize people. They did take a, an innovative approach on the way you purchase. It's not like click on it, review, confirm, hit another click, and then you bought. Their button is when you click it, you just bought it. Like that's it. So you go to a thank you page and then you can reverse that decision. So they also took a relatively unique approach to it. But that same, the other side of that unique approach speaks to the issue around e-commerce merchants. That's a great way to buy as quickly as possible. That's not necessarily the best way to buy a physical product with shipping and taxes and fulfillment and the normal path of conversion and the ability to review before you buy and like the way people are used to buying. And then there's all these downstream impacts that we learned at Carthook through pain. And if you just raised money, built a product and went go, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know about the pain of the downstream impacts. After someone purchases, again, that's the easy part. Did it go into their inventory properly? Does it flow all the way through to their order management system in the right way? Did the email get added to the email list properly? Is the conversion tracking appropriate? It's like, it's a whole- of those people are customer support. <laughs> Right. So it is a universe of that. And then the second issue is, is one of business model. And the way Fast works is it has a partnership with Stripe that funded it. And when you join Fast, you have no choice, not only to use Stripe, but you're using Fast's Stripe account, not your own Stripe account. And that's how they're able to give it effectively for free because they're making money on the processing with Stripe. And not every merchant likes that. A lot of merchants want to bring in their existing relationships because maybe PayPal can get away with the fact that you use their processing and they hold on to your money for a week and then give it to you. But fast isn't PayPal. So they had these, these fundamental issues around the product. And the last thing is when you add a checkout button, that's not a full checkout, only a small portion of the revenue of the store goes to that button. So if you, if you notice in the articles, they have 700 merchants. It's not bad. It's definitely not bad. But because such a small percentage of revenue goes through the actual fast button, they didn't. You mean they like, like they use fast for some parts of their store, but not everything. That's right. A shopper that wants to use, I don't know, the regular checkout flow or PayPal or a firm or Apple Pay, they're not touching fast. So that might have, that might have dissatisfied their assumptions in, in the model based on how much revenue they would get per merchant. So, you know, I think all this stuff. It puts us, let's, let's categorize us as the not behemoths, right? 99.9% .9 of people listening to this don't have the one or two recognizable VC-backed hotshot magazine cover you know, companies in their space. And how to deal with that emotionally and strategically 
is this is a is a big challenge. It's probably underlies a lot of the things that that we talk about regularly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. There. I mean, you know, for me, it's like speed. <laughs> it's like speed to get through this roadmap because there's so much that needs to be done. And I think I think for me, it's just like I need to get better at deploying cash and I guess like hiring and, and just getting the right people in place to to move faster on the stuff, you know, on both product and marketing. It's been a big challenge. It's not necessarily from competition. Like Loom has been around a while. They're going to be around a while. Uh, it's impatience on my end and just needing to, to go faster, you know, uh, yeah. every, uh, every day. <laughs> the, the, for me, the two questions, right, between strategic and emotional, for strategic, it's the vision. It's where's this thing going in three to five years? That version of things is unique. And if we stick with that and if we're right on that, we're going to win our version of winning. And that trickles down into the features and the direction and who to integrate with and who not. And emotionally, I almost got into like this mantra of like, it doesn't matter what any competitor does. There are certain things that they can't take away from me. I'm happy with my family, happy with my kids. You know, I'm, I'm happy with myself. Uh, I'm proud of the things I've done and the way I've done them. Like, right, like you, if you look at that, the real stuff, not what's on the internet or Twitter or in your mind or whatever, the real stuff, they can't, look at your house, man. You this beautiful life that you accomplished. Like no one can take that away from you. That should be the concrete, the grounding, the floor of maybe there's this swirling thing happening in my head. And You know, that's and, so but, true. But this, is, this is the truth. When I look around, that's the truth. I'm glad you brought that up. A, a habit that I've, that I have finally come around to just here this year in 22, I exercise most mornings and forever. My, like almost anything that I do, I'm listening to something, usually podcasts or, or music. But you know, if I'm doing the dishes, I'm listening to podcasts. If I'm driving, I'm listening to podcasts, right? If, if I'm working out, I'm listening to a book or I'm listening to podcasts. This recently, I, like, I, it occurred to me, like I need time to quiet my mind. You know, so, so when I'm biking, like I'm going nothing. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to, and, it, and this is really hard for me. It's really, really hard to do 30 minutes or 40 minutes and have no information entering my brain. Like, it is hard. you know, and, and so, and so I, I, I'm trying to get better at that by, by literally doing what you're just saying. Like I spend that time kind of cycling through the things that I'm grateful for my, my family, you know, excitement around things we're doing, vacations things that are just like thinking about my kids the, most of the time and like, right. And, and access it's, to uh, gratitude. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and it's just like, it, it's a great reminder because I'm, I'm physically occupied, like I'm exercising. So it's not, so I, I, it's not right like I board. Can, <laughs> yeah. Like, like I can't sit on the couch by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I can't work because I'm working out. So, right. So it's like a time to just, um, you know, so that that's been really helpful. Cool. I think that's a great place to end things great episode can't wait to see you in person my friends looking forward yeah, to dude. it all right later folks see you